This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The meditation I had it a few weeks ago was if you were going to be running a marathon and you came in clothes like I'm wearing right now, uh, it just wouldn't fit. And there is a readiness to do in Christianity, and oftentimes we're not dressed for it. And there's nothing wrong with dressing like this, by the way, so I'm not trying to criticize the way I'm dressed. I'm just saying in spiritual language, there is a race that we're supposed to be running. There is a challenge that we're supposed to be engaged in. And I think a lot of us come out of shape and not ready to engage in it. I think we're ready to hear truth, but not always ready to apply it. And God is testing me at such a deep level in that exact area is, Eric, you esteem it, I know. And I appreciate the fact that you esteem this truth. I'm looking for you to do it, though. And, I mean, over and over, that theme just keeps coming up. This is, of course, it has to do with that. Otherwise, I wouldn't lead in with that, that statement. But it's a very sp- specific angle uh, on that idea. The pruning of Adam, that the second man may be seen clearly. So the word pruning, uh, for those of you that are familiar with uh, grapes and vines, uh, in the Christian world, we have this term, and so many of us are familiar with it, especially because of John 15. Uh, the Father is the vine dresser, and Jesus is the vine. We are branches that are grafted into a vine, and as a result, there is a need for something in our life known as pruning. Now, most of us don't really like to emphasize that dimension. In fact, we know it is true, but we keep it sort of back here. And we have a tendency to, on the front side of our life, give a little grumble about things like pruning. You know, it's interesting because in the scriptures, there's a very clear concept of a transfer from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, too. And so what we have is we have Adam, and all of us, when we are first born, are born into a descendancy of a sinner. His name is Adam. And when he munched on that fruit six, close to 6,000 years ago, The Bible makes it clear that when he munched, we all munched. In other words, when he disobeyed God, when he violated the clear command of Scripture, in a sense, his behavior and the consequences of it passed down to all that were in him. You have to understand genetics to understand that we were actually in him. We came out of him. It's strange to think that we were in Adam 6,000 years ago. I know, you weren't yet born, but you were still in him. And that concept is very clear in Scripture. Because then it articulates the fact that Jesus, when he did his work, when he did his work of obedience, those that repent of their life in Adam and put off the first and put on the second actually now share in Jesus' work. And so just as we shared in the condemnation, in the just penalty of Adam, now we share in the just reward and the consolation of the Christ. And so this idea of Adam, Jesus, and seeing the two is very, very important because many of us understand this, but we don't recognize that when we come to Jesus, we still have, eh, the word vestige is sort of an ugly word, but we still have remains of that Adam life. Though we are genuinely believers and though we have put our faith in Jesus Christ and we have clothing that is perfectly righteous, it is the life of Christ and in him is no sin. Yet underneath that clothing is a very real work in process. And so what takes place in our life is something the Bible refers to as sanctification. It's the process of removing the Adam from us. It's removing the husk of selfishness from us. Many of us are shocked that it still lingers. I mean, I I believed in Jesus. I, I thought I would be perfect now. He is perfect. 
And that is your great consolation, is that no matter what is happening underneath, there still is a covering over you that allows you entrance into that presence of the Father. But underneath that clothing, God is interested in removing that husk, removing that chaff, removing the dross. There's all sorts of illustrations in Scripture. So a, a wheat needs to be threshed. A kernel of wheat needs to be threshed. Well, you're like that kernel of wheat. And you're like, threshed, what, what exactly is that? Well, it's a form of beating. And so there's extreme uh, pressure, there's extreme heat, because fire is involved in it too, it burns up chaff. And so you need to be threshed. It's called a tribular. It literally beats against that chaff and removes that husk of unneeded, unwanted covering so that the pure wheat can be brought uh, to, to be made into bread, to feed, right? And so this is the process. This is the picture. We need to be threshed. Oh, what? I, I don't know if I like that. So that chaff can be removed. So that Adam could be pruned. We also have the picture of refinement. Most of us don't really like that one. There, were, there used to be a worship song when I was growing up called Refiner's Fire. And I used to think about it. It's like, does everyone actually know what they're singing right now? Do, do you really want to sing that? Refiner's Fire? You know, bring it, God. Bring it. You see, refiner's fire purifies, and it removes something. It separates out the first from the second. The second is that which is pure, but the first is that which is impure, and it, needs, it comes to the surface through that extreme heat so that it can be removed. So all of these pictures, we're going to focus just specifically on that removal process through pruning, but this idea is that God is interested in removing something from us, not so that he can harm us, but so that he can in and through us show the glory of his son. That is our design. That's what we were created for. You see, something is wrong here. Adam went astray. He is not as he was supposed to be. God intended Adam to be a vehicle of revelation that in and through Adam, the world would see him. That which is invisible would be made visible through the body of Adam. Something went terribly wrong. Sin now controls Adam. So because God so loves us and still intends to use us, he came to this earth and did the work of an Adam the way Adam should have. And he is our high priest, laid down his own life as an intercessor and created a way of escape for all of those that are encrusted in Adam and in Adam's just condemnation. If they would repent and believe, they put off that husk of Adam and enter in to the work of the perfect Adam. Jesus. This process, we understand in a very basic sense, and we appreciate it. We cherish it. What we struggle with is that which continues, because now we need to abide. We need to abide in that vine and receive his life, and when we do, if we truly are loved by the Father, the <clears throat> vine dresser, then he will prune us. And that's a signal, get this, of love. Okay, now I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I'm going to take you through a story. This, this, this message came together sort of like the spirit of the humble. If any of you remember spirit of the humble, this is actually somewhat of a similar uh, message where this is a story that I relate to very intimately because it's my story. I chafed, to use a word similar to chaff, I chafed at the idea of being pruned. Partly because I was never groomed in my early development as a Christian on the fact that that's good. And so as a result, the challenges and the difficulties that I faced, I found myself grumbling. You ever grumbled in your life? I can't imagine that you ever have. But, and I found myself complaining about difficulty, asking God why when my bank account was constantly low. I'm serving you, God. Why is it that all the heathen have money in the bank and those of us that are radically given to you have nothing? And some of you are like, amen. God, give us a good answer to that. Unfortunately, that answer is going to come forth with uh, probably startling clarity today. You see, I chafed at the notion that we as Christians need to be pruned. I didn't understand what God's purpose was in this life, and that was to reveal the Son, not just to get me to heaven. And so as a result, I didn't appreciate when he was removing the atom from me, when he was pruning and taking away that which was of the first life 
so that more and more of the second man could be seen. I remember I was trying to articulate this. This goes back maybe 12 years. When God was deepening me in this exact topic, and I was trying to understand what I'm describing to you, because I wasn't necessarily trained in this. I saw it in Scripture, but I didn't know how to articulate it to my soul. Because oftentimes, you ever notice that the metaphors of Scripture, like the parables of Scripture, aren't the language we speak? Like, I don't work with mustard seed. I mean, so as a result, it's like, okay, I don't know what wheat really did. I don't deal with sheep. So as a result, we feel distant. Yeah, Dwight's like, I do. Uh, You want to come and talk to me? Uh, But I don't, okay? In other words, those are illustrations that I'm sure they understood, but I don't readily understand. So oftentimes what I would do is I would look for a metaphor that would speak the language of my understanding. And so here was my metaphor. God is like a light bulb that has entered into the, the life of Eric Ludi, which was dark. And because there was no light in Eric Ludi, it was pitch dark. And as a result, all sorts of rodents you know, were you know, scurrying around, and you had cockroaches and all sorts of things, spider webs and icky stuff going on, and you couldn't even see them to remove them. But then suddenly when Jesus Christ moves in, everything changes. There's light on the inside of Eric, but you're not seeing it. Well, how could you not see it? Well, because there's a whole crust of Eric Ludi that's encasing it. Now, inside, Eric's seeing that light, and he's starting to see his rodents. He's starting to see his spider webs. And so as I heed that light, and as I listen and obey what I'm now seeing, every step of obedience is like a puncture in and through that crust, which I, I call black construction paper, which is me. It's black construction paper that hides, that's life that has now entered into me. But every time I agree with the light, every time I say yes to it, every time I humble myself and say, you're right, O light, it's like a pinhole in and through my construction paper. And what happens? You see light on the outside. You see, now my, that light that is in me, which was in me the whole time, when you know Christ, that light enters into you. But why is no one seeing it? Are you in agreement with that light? Are you submitting to that light? Are you allowing that light to work? Because whenever that light is asking you to do something, did you know it doesn't always feel so hot? It isn't what we want to do. And that's the whole point of living over here. We're not doing what we want. That's what killed us in the first place. We're doing what he wants. And when we do, our life begins to function properly. So guess what happens with a lifetime of pinholes and obedient steps? Pretty soon, it's less of the black construction paper, more of the light. Pretty soon, the black construction paper begins to peel away, and now light begins to shine through without impediments. Welcome to our message. The pruning of Adam, that the second man may be seen clearly. The first man, Adam, is of the earth, made of dust. The second man, Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. First Peter 4. Now, I, I heard this growing up, didn't I? Beloved, that, that's us, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Why is it that even though we know that scripture, we still think that something's going wrong when we face trial, when we face difficulty, when we face pain? It's like, God, if you really loved me, then you could fill in the blank after that. We have our picture because Adam reasons a certain way. God, if you really loved me, then you would take care of me. You would feed me. You would take care of all my needs and give me comfort and pleasure constantly. Well, he will take care of all your needs. He will feed you, but he loves you too much to allow your comforts and your perception of what is best for your life to rule you. Will you submit to him and allow him to grow you the way he knows you must grow. And as you can see, that term fiery trial is exactly that. It's not just a trial, it's a fiery trial. The Vogel Gym. So for those of you that have never been to the Vogel Gym, I don't think it's called the Vogel Gym, uh, but Aaron Vogel, who's in the second row, looking down at his notes going, how did I get in this message? Uh, Aaron and Robbie, who is leading worship today, both uh, have their input into my physical training every week, and I think they have a secret delight in seeing me uh, in going through fiery trials. Let's just put it that way. And, uh, but it's the Vogel Gym. That's what we're going to call it. I could call it in the core training, 
but it's the vocal gym because it has a personality to it. And that's the same with, I could call it the spirit gym. Most of us try and avoid gyms and training facilities on purpose. Why? Because we know there's a fiery trial there. Think about it. Why do we stay away from such things like that? Those crazy, crazy people that actually like this stuff? Yeah, there are people that actually, but what do they like about it? Come on. I'm going to read you a little story from the Vogel gym. Hey, boy, shouted the lazy man of rotund frame. Where are you going dressed like that? Well, I'm headed to the Vogel gym, answered the young athlete with a smile. Why would you go there, grimaced the blubbery-bellied man? Isn't the Vogel gym a place of pain? Well, yeah, responded the young athlete with a twinkle of excitement in his eye. But not the sort of pain that destroys. It's a place of pain that builds. Young man, the fatty man warned, from what I've heard in every corner of that place is a device of torture. In one corner, weights that try your arms and shoulders. In another corner, ropes that burn your calves and cause your heart to race out of your chest. In another corner, boxes that bruise your shins and mock you with their height. And yet another corner, bars that demand you to strain, pull, and wheeze. Well, I must say, old man, your informant is accurate. But whoever passed along to you this information seems to have strategically left out some important facts about these devices. So it's true. Sir, it's true that the Vogel gym has devices in every corner that cause pain and bring trial. But your perspective on these so-called devices is strangely misguided. The overweight man stuck his hand upon his large belly and groaned, and then with all seriousness said, And even knowing this, lad, you go into this theater of difficulty? Even knowing this, you pursue this physical exhaustion, this muscular fatigue, and this body-weakening exertion? The young athlete put his hand kindly on the shoulder of the concerned blubber-bellied man, and with a voice of patience and care said, my friend, let me speak straight with you. The Vogel Gym, though it be a place of difficulty, pain, trial, and challenge, is a place I delight to be. You need not concern yourself for my safety, for these very things that you list as dangerous and unfriendly are the things I love most in life. It is these things, difficulty, pain, trial, and challenge, that make me stronger, increase my endurance, build my tensile, establish my fortitude, and demonstrate to me how powerful grace is in overcoming weakness." Are you actually saying, queried the man as his belly jiggled with laughter, that you enjoy the vocal gym, ha, 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 and enjoy these devices of torture, ha? I can't bring myself to believe it is true. Sir, the young athlete responded confidently, someone somewhere has duped you into thinking that difficulty, pain, trial, and challenge are bad things, when in fact these are the greatest advocates of spiritual growth and development. And those who embrace the Vogel gym are not just the strongest athletes on earth, but the happiest and the most fit to do the hard things that must be done. The lumberous old man belched a long throaty belch, smiled wryly, and then said, Son, you may be right, but even if you are right, I just can't bring myself to believe it. Is it because you don't want to believe it, sir? The man chuckled and supplied a knowing laugh, and then he looked intensely into the young athlete's eyes and said simply, Yep. And that was the end of it. You choose. I don't think any of us want to be the, <clears throat> the blubber-bellied man, and yet we all have a propensity, every one of us. Okay, I'm sure even Aaron Vogel could acknowledge that there is a blubber-bellied potential in every single one of us. We all have a leaning in different aspects of our life. I'm not just talking about physical training. I'm talking about the spiritual man. And yet there is another part of us. God has awakened us, and we desire to be fit spiritually. But if you desire to be fit, you have to accept what it comes from. Fitness does not flow out of just sincerity. Fitness flows out of embracing difficulty. It flows out of embracing challenge. I'm not saying putting up with it. I'm saying embracing it because you can go to a gym and I could be working out with Aaron or with Robbie and the moment they look away, I could let up. In other words, when the trainer's there, it's like you give your best because they're like, come on! And then the moment they go to the other side, you compromise, you do a few less reps than they told you to do. You can always cut corners. And I'm saying, if you truly want to be an athlete spiritually, you have to embrace the challenge. You have to embrace the commission. And when they say 30 reps, you actually say, thank you. I'd like to actually try for more. It's a mentality that says, I recognize what this is doing inside of me. The two avenues, the narrow and the broad. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. 
And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. Did you guys just read that or did I just think it uh, in my head? Oh, there it is on the screen. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. What is the way that leads to life? It's difficult. That's what it says. It's sort of, I might as well just say, difficulty is the way that leads to life. You want to understand how to find the fullness of life, how to reveal the fullness of Jesus Christ in and through your life. Embrace difficulty. You see, what I said at the very beginning of this is I want to commission your soul under response. You can be like the blubber-bellied man and say, okay, I, I, I have a hunch, Eric, you're, you're speaking truth. Okay, I'll acknowledge that, yes, this is probably true. I haven't even gotten into the scripture basis for this. It's replete. However, you may hear it with your ears but reject it in the depths of your being. It may be true, but I say no. I do not want that version of Christianity. And here's what I'm going to say. There's only one version of Christianity. There isn't two. I know that it's something is masquerading in the church today that says, oh, you can live with your blubber belly spiritually over here and everything's fine. There were ten virgins, five of them on this side, five of them on this side. And when the Son of Man came, when the bridegroom came, five of them did not have what they needed. They were not ready. They were not fit for the bridegroom. I do not even want to mess with this side of the ledger. I want us as a church to rise up and say, Yes, I accept the terms of this life, Lord Jesus. And I recognize that it is through difficulty that I will find that life. So, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And I always add the little addendum that says, few are those who want to find it. It's sitting there. How many of us have heard that scripture? We know the scripture. Do we want it to be true, or do we want the broad way? The way of ease the way that everyone else goes. I want Jesus, simply put. This has been a hard process for me in my life because I have tried to negotiate corners in my life where I say, okay, God, I just walked through difficulty and I recognize, I see what it did for me. But could I have a season of ease to follow it? I mean, God, I can't just keep up difficulty. You ever had thoughts like that? Even those of you that have gone through difficulty, you have to admit Your walk with Christ exploded in and through that difficulty, and the dependence that you had upon Christ was rich and full. But what is the first thing you you ask for after you conclude? Could I have another season just over here? Remember the good old days when I didn't have that? And here's what I'm wrestling with. God, I accept a full-time job known as difficulty. As opposed to seasons of it or moments of it, I accept it. I accept that it comes with the life of following you. And I'm not going to argue and dicker anymore. I'm just going to say thank you and say, I know what you're building. I don't just work out one day every year and say, okay, I got my difficulty out of the way. Actually, it's consistency with difficulty that removes the difficulty of difficulty. If you're in shape, here's one thing you know. Workouts no longer intimidate you. If you're not in shape, here's one thing I know. Workouts intimidate you. You see, if you are regular in your discipline of accepting difficulty, difficulty is no longer difficult. It actually is a delight, and you smile at it because you see what God is doing. He's building you stronger and stronger and stronger. Some of you don't believe me. God's purposeful work of removal. God is purposeful in the process of removing the atom out of us. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That's what he does. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So if you're bearing fruit, what what do you know for certain? The word of God has said it. Uh, He's going to prune you. Why? Because he just loves to see you wriggle? No. He's actually after something, and that is greater fruit out of your life. He wants to shine forth a greater measure of his grace in and through you. The pruning of the 300... You guys remember this story back uh, in the book of uh, Judges? This is the story of uh, Gideon. 32,000 warriors show up for war against the Midianites. 32,000, which, by the way, is a pretty paltry amount to start with, okay, especially considering they had, what, upwards of like 185,000 to 215,000, depending on how you uh, read and interpret the story. I mean, 
this is even nothing. 32,000, is that all we got? And, but 31,700 of them are sent packing. God purposely pruned that army. What? God will purposely prune you. You know, it doesn't make a lot of rational sense to us that God would make us weak. I mean, doesn't he want us to be strong? Sure he does. But our strength is actually a reflection of his strength. And he reflects his strength in and through our weakness. So he doesn't mind us having low bank accounts. I don't know, some of you could testify to that. He actually doesn't wriggle. He doesn't panic. He says, it's okay. Because I can show my strength through a low bank account. You see, his provision only is seen when you have need. If you have a million dollars and he gives you a hundred, you don't even feel it. If you have zero and he gives you a hundred, you feel every bit of it. And it all goes to the glory of God and you praise him for it. You see, when you are weak, his work is seen and noticed. If 300 men are going to beat 185,000 to 215,000 men, who gets the credit? Not the 300 men. It's going to be God. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. What a funny statement. You have too much money in your bank. I can't, I, I'm going to need to um, prune you a little more. <laughs> I, I felt this. I mean, this is like a message for Eric Ludi. It's like, God, you do know that I'm carrying some very significant financial weights here, right? You do know that? Yeah, you have too much money in the bank. Well, God, I don't even have enough to pay the bills this month. Yeah, we're going to have to get you an extra bill to get some of that money out so that you're more dependent. I mean, this is like the story of my life. It's like, uh, God, I, you, if you, you want me, I can counsel you on this, that actually we need money down here to pay bills? He says, no, I, I got that. Don't worry. But you're going to see my power when you don't have the ability in your own business reasoning to pull it off. And guess who gets the credit? Even in my soul. That was Jesus. So the people are yet too many. Bring them down under the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. And he trims them down to 300. Why would God do this? You know that he actually gives his reason for this? And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel can't claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. You see, if you are not weakened, if you are not pruned, you think it's you. But when you allow the pruning of God, then he gets the glory. The fruit that comes forth is spirit fruit. It's not Adam fruit. The only way to get spirit fruit is to allow a pruning in our life. And by the way, I'm not saying that God doesn't allow us to have resource and that our life is just pure difficult. It's just that difficulty attends. There are challenges and tensions within the Christian life that the average person down the street just doesn't have. We are at war and at odds with the system of this earth. And if we just minded our own business and stayed in Adam, we would just have normal earth problems. Instead, we have normal earth problems, plus we have spiritual problems. We are standing, we're like poking the devil in the eye. We're like, how does that feel, devil? And he's like, I'll show you how it feels. And he starts grabbing a hold of things. You know, hey, we're messing with stuff here. And God says, you do know that, don't you? When you signed up for this, you signed up to stand against the systems of this earth. And anyone who lives a godly life over here in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do not consider it strange, beloved, when you face fiery trials. This is actually how it works for us. Most of us consider it strange. I mean, most of us are North Americans here. I mean, hey, we don't put up with trials. We spend all our money trying to eliminate them. We hire people to fix our trials. We want other people to carry our trials. We say, oh, go off to war and fight our trials. In other words, we want everyone else to deal with our trials. And then we nitpick all the people that do a bad job fixing our trials instead of us rising up and dealing with them. God, I accept that trial. The emptying of Eric Ludi's pockets. So I'm going to go through four quick, very brief stories in this little journey. Uh, so back in the, oh, I don't know what I was, 21, 22 years old, 
God was testing me to see if I would hold anything back. And I, I grew up in a middle to upper middle class family. I never lacked all growing up. I never went without one meal. In fact, every meal I had all growing up was all you could eat. Okay, I didn't understand what it meant to not have unlimited amounts. Whatever I needed as a growing boy, as an athlete, I had. So as a result, I didn't understand what it would mean to not have access to a lot. And so I went off to a missionary school, and God was training me. And I, my, my tuition was paid for, of course. I mean, I didn't know of any other way. You could go to a school, but to pay the tuition, that's what they requested. But I found out later that there were actually students there that said, I will get the money to you. Could you allow me to come? And they were there. And there was one particular girl that I found out about. I don't remember how I found out about this, but she was going to be removed from the program. They had a date said, if you haven't paid uh, your tuition by such and such a date, then you will be removed. And so I heard about that. And so I was in my early morning prayer time with God, and God was asking me something. It was December 1st. I still remember it very clearly because of the Oswald Chambers quote that came that day. Uh, When we deliberately choose to obey God, he will tax the remotest star in the last grain of sand to assist us with all his almighty power. Eric, will you give your paid tuition to this girl and take her position of having an unpaid tuition and trust me to pay it. I mean, that was, that was the step of obedience. That was about as stupid of a thought as I could ever have on my own. Over in Adam, Eric Ludy doesn't have that thought. That is an unwise thought. Why would I take someone else's position? They're going to be booted out. If I take that position, I'll be booted out. And guess what happened? I, took the, I came to the leader. I didn't tell anyone else. No one in my entire school knew what I did, except my brother was in the school, and he did. But he wasn't allowed. He was sworn to secrecy. And I told him, I said, would you allow me to do this? And the guy said, yes, which was my first point was like, well, God, I could ask him. The guy said, yes. It's like, oh, oh okay. Uh, so guess what? I suddenly was in the position of being kicked out. She was about to be kicked out. Now I was going to be kicked out. And suddenly she comes into the classroom and everyone's rejoicing because God provided for her. And I'm gone. And no one knew why I was gone. Suddenly just Eric's gone. So no one knew to give. No one knew to supply resource. I was in one of the most challenging little situations I'd ever been in. And I remember I wrote a song in that time called You'll Remain Faithful Though the Mountains Crumble to the Midst of the Sea. And I would sing it over and over to myself. I was just rehearsing it. God, you will remain faithful. I know you are faithful. God, what you've asked me to do, did I do that? What am I doing? Why would I deliberately choose to do that? Because I had no money. And it's not like I did it and then I suddenly had a pile of money sitting there. I got kicked out. Yeah, that doesn't feel too good, by the way, just in case any of you are wondering, how did you feel about that, Eric? Not so good. God, what are you doing? God, I know how the script is supposed to read. I do this, and then there's a big wad of money that just falls from heaven and lands on my shoe. And I'm like, whoa. I was young, and I didn't understand what God was doing. He was asking me to walk a path where I didn't have light. I didn't know how it was going to come out, and all I knew was he was faithful. He says, Eric, will you trust me? This trial nearly crushed me. So in this process, I was, uh, we were, well, I'm going to give you two parts to it. I, I know it's going to seem like a massive short changing of the story, but I'm trying to make it short. I had a supernatural provision from somewhere, don't know where, and suddenly my account was, was paid. Okay, I know that sounds like a massive statement of simplicity for, for the story, but my, my main point is to show you what I walked through. It's, I'm hopefully it's obvious God has always been faithful. I'm going to give you a testimony of 29 years. God is faithful. And every time I have stepped out to trust him, he has backed it up with all the power of heaven. Though he does it at 11.59 and 59 seconds. It's like, God, could we fix our clock, move it maybe a day sooner? Why do we have to wait till the very end? He is faithful. So then I had another trial. So now I'm back in the school, right? They have like a week left. It's like, oh, that's great. So now they're all preparing to go on the mission field. And uh, I didn't have any money for that. 
And so everyone has to sign up for where they're going. Everyone's already raised their money for it. Well, I've been so busy praying about surviving. How am I going to pay my debt that I now have to pay this tuition? Supplied. Somehow, some way. It's supplied. So now I sign up for the cheapest missionary trip they have, which was to New Orleans. And it was all the people that had no money that went to New Orleans. So it was sort of a motley crew that ended up going down there. And they already had their leadership and everything. And I, and I was feeling so weak. Here's what I can tell you. I was humbled. In that group, everyone looked up to me. Everyone thought my life was together. Well, now Eric was the one kicked out, and Eric was the one that didn't have money, and I signed up for the no funds tour (laughs) to New Orleans. In other words, I had to identify with the weak ones in the group. I had no choice. And what God did in and through me in that process was he removed the Adam. Not totally, I'm not given that story, but he was doing it. I didn't see that. I was doing a little grumbling, by the way, in the midst of my faith. I was like, God, you can do this a lot more smoothly. Why do I have to go through such excruciating pain? And why does everyone need to think this about me? Can't you explain it to them? He didn't seem to go out of his way to explain to them. And he allowed me to feel the full weight of it. So the very last day, I still didn't even have money for the no funds tour. You still have to have enough for that. I don't know what it was, but I didn't have that. So guess what? Everyone was going to go on the mission. Every single person had their money except for one guy. And no one knew I didn't have it. And I had had told God, I'm going to take my needs before you and no one else. And so I'd made that agreement with God. And it was the very last night. I don't know. Some of you remember this story because I've shared it somewhere along the line uh, in the history of this church. But it came to the last night, and I was out in the parking lot after a big event, and we were going on to the mission field the next day. So we're supposed to leave. We're supposed to have our accounts balanced and paid up. Everyone, every one of the students is supposed to see the leader that night. And I was in the parking lot saying goodbye to the last guy, the last car, the last person who could possibly give me money. And he, he looks at me, and he says, Eric, is there anything that you need? I was good friends with his son, and I, he asked me that question. And so in the parking lot, I looked at him and I said, no, no, God's taking care of me. It's one of the hardest moments in my life to watch that car drive off and recognize that as far as I could see, God had failed me. Oh, sure, he paid for my tuition, but that, did you notice that every test is a new test? It's like, well, he paid for that. He doesn't have enough to pay for this too. I don't know where we get these notions. And yet, there I was, freshly starting over, as if God had never been faithful in my life before. And the last car drives off, and I'm dealing with that disillusionment, that tug of disillusionment upon me. God, have you failed me? I go in to sit down with my leader, and he goes, uh, so let's see where your, the, your account is at. And he's opening it up, and uh, I said, yeah, I, I don't have it. And I'm gulping. I'm feeling so humiliated. Remember how I grew up? I grew up. And my family was the one that supported people to go on missions. My family was the one that gave. No one in my family knows what I'm going through. And so I am agonizing through this. And the the leader looks at me and goes, what do you mean you don't have it? It was paid three days ago. What? Yeah, it says paid in full. Three days ago. What? How come no one told me? (laughs) You can answer that, can't you? God knew I had to walk through that fiery trial. You see, there's a ram in the thicket already, guys. Didn't you know that? The fact that you haven't seen the ram in the thicket doesn't mean that God hasn't led it there and has its horns caught. We oftentimes think we have to see it, but it's not faith if you see it. You see, we have to trust that God is faithful even when we're in our weakened state. Here's what I can say. Someone asked me the other day, and I remember the question. I just remember my thought process in it. How have you stayed true to the word of God? How have you stayed humble in your position? Because I think some people look at me as having great success. You know that I, Leslie and I both, do not feel like we're successes. If anything, I have the voice that is whispering failure to me day in and day out. I've lived with it for years. And that is my secret right there. I live in a trial And that trial diminishes my sense of success. So even though I may have fruit in my life, I don't feel like I have done anything to deserve any pat on the back. 
And there is the great secret of my longevity in leadership. I do not think highly of me. I think highly of Jesus somehow supporting me and carrying me through. And it is a great gift to my soul. And so what I'm speaking to you is something I know intimately. Eric, if you were to be given the same last 29 years and be given it without those trials, and you could have earthly success, your ministry could be so much more impacting, would you take it? All I know is that God has held me in the hollow of his hand and he has medied out to me precisely what I knew I needed. And those trials are gold to me. That's what shaped my character. That's what taught me all my training. Everything that I know came out of my trials, not out of my successes. Solid good doctrine doesn't come out of ease. It comes out of fiery trials. Then he answered and spoke unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple of the Lord. Well, so in your day. The temple of the Lord is being built. And how is it going to be built? Well, it's not by the power of Adam, not by the might of Adam. It's by the spirit of Almighty God dwelling in an Adam shell. Eric Ludi has given the second fiddle. Have you ever heard the term second fiddle? I don't know much about fiddles. All I know is that second fiddle isn't what you desire over here. In Adam, we desire first fiddle. Again, I don't know a lot about fiddles. I just know that uh, I, I was given a second fiddle. Uh, all growing up, I always had first fiddle. I had unusual success growing up and unusual popularity. I didn't recognize that until I lost it. But... As some of you know, I was homecoming king in high school and homecoming king in college. I, I mean, that was normal to me. I was just, yeah, you're just always homecoming king. I was always first chair saxophone. I mean, I was always the captain of my teams that I was on, my sports teams. I would always make, get the awards for, for what I did, you know? So, oh, Eric, the awards came in. It looks like you got all conference or something. So, oh, great. If I didn't, I would have gone into despair. I didn't understand that those things don't always come to everyone. I wasn't used to second fiddle, so what did God need to do? He say, Eric, are you willing to carry the second fiddle? Well, well, people like me don't carry second fiddle. Do they? Ah, so I, this is, I don't know how I'm going to share this. It's such a deep part of my life, but I'm not sure how to share it publicly because it was a public thing. I'm going to attempt to do it. There was another voice that was raised up at the precise time that Eric and Leslie Ludi were raised up. In fact, we were raised up before, and then this other fiddle came along at the same time, and I encouraged this fiddle to press forward and to share. And that fiddle became a first fiddle. And suddenly, everyone would get me mixed up and, with this fiddle and say, uh, oh, yeah, I heard, I heard you speak. No, it wasn't you. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that big event, that 10,000-person event, that was, oh, yeah, sorry about that. I, I mixed you up. I got mixed up all the time. I'd be in radio interviews, and it's like, so are you the one that wrote such and such? No, I'm the one that wrote such and such. Oh, I thought we had an interview with so-and-so. Yeah, no, you got me instead. None of you would have cared about it because you would have been happy to have the interview maybe. But for me, I was a second fiddle over and over and over again. For a whole season of my life, I was a second fiddle. And all the sales reports would come in and guess whose book would always sell higher than ours. Same subject. Guess who got all the awards? The fiddle. The first fiddle. Now, why does that matter? It was a gift. A gift to me. I look at that as one of the number one gifts in my life. It's interesting because that fiddle, this is why it's hard to talk about, has greatly struggled in life and longevity and has not been able to maintain the integrity of his fiddling. Everything came to him easily in the spiritual world. He had all these proponents, all these advocates, all these people speaking for him. And Leslie and I would literally watch the red carpet rolled out in front of him and he'd just stroll down it. And guess what? 
For us, they would close off and all the cameras would leave and we'd walk down all by ourselves. I remember getting in a, uh, in a vehicle. This was at a huge event. At the time, it was, I think I told the students this weekend, maybe it was this week, uh, we used to speak at these huge festivals and they were all musicians. People would come to hear the musicians. There's like 150,000 people at this one. And uh, these drivers, these young drivers would, would sign up to be able to drive the musicians from the hotel to the... Uh, to the festival, which was about half hour, 45 minutes away, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, so this driver had come, and they had just missed picking up one of the biggest bands uh, in the world, and they instead got stuck with Eric and Leslie. And I remember that person even sharing it as we were driving uh, down the road. It's like, oh, and he's like talking on his mic. I, I was supposed to have them. I was supposed to get them. Well, who do you have? I have some of the speakers. There were always like this token speakers at these things. That's what, that's what we were. And here, here's what I want to say. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that when I was growing up in and through this and having what most of you would call success, I never deemed it success. That's what I heard. That's what my meditation was. I'm a lowly speaker. And as a result, that was a gift of grace to me. It tried my soul. My pride was brought to the surface. And God says, what's that? Oh, the, the, that's, uh, uh, it's Adam. And he could remove it to the point where I could celebrate a first fiddle. Someone else getting the first fiddle and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And at least the gospel is being presented because that first fiddle wasn't always very nice to the second fiddle. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen, yes, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I think God's chosen the second fiddle. Esau, Jacob, second fiddle. In other words, there's something about will. And remember the descriptions of Esau and Jacob? Esau's the hairy hunter. And Jacob's the plain man dwelling in tents. None of us want to be the plain man dwelling in tents that everyone chuckles over and goes, Pfft. and yet, if you ever get the chuckle over your second fiddlishness, it's a gift of grace. The power found in Eric Ludi losing everything. So some of you have heard these stories because when we used to give the message Fortification. I think we walked through this particular story. But some of you may have never heard it, and I'm not going to go into depth into it. But we were being asked to speak all over the world. And our books were just going berserk. The sensitivity, the timeliness of what our message was, was exploding around the world. Not just here in America, but around the world. And we had so much demand for what we were doing, and we could not stay up with it. We, had, we just could not uh, stay on top of it. So we hired an event manager. And long and short, even though we had our pastoral team review this guy, we had high recommendations, this guy was a con man. Given you, you know, as clear and as straight and as you know, ungarnished as I can, he's a con man, and he put together a fake tour for us. So we paid him full salary, and he put together, we scheduled our events out a year in advance back then. And so he set up this entire tour as a massive tour, so we had to... Uh, by everything from plane tickets to posters to flyers to shipping books, all these things. Tons of money went out. Tens of thousands of dollars went out towards this. And as we were getting close to the first two events, uh, our tour manager said that the first two canceled. We'd never had events canceled, and two of them canceled? What? And we were like, how come we don't have the contracts from this? We should have the riders signed. Why, why don't we have these contracts from it? Oh, well, I'm handling that. And he had names, he had everything. The whole thing was a sham. And when we found out, as we approach it, I mean, that's our entire cash flow. So we've stuck out so much money. And back then, we borrowed all that money. No, that was like, I don't know, it was credit card debt, but it was like bank loan type of debt so that we could front and fund this thing. I'm not going to say that that was the wisest thing to do. I'm just saying that's what we did. And in the process, the bottom fell out on us. The whole thing was fake. And so suddenly, our entire season of speaking, which brings in, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars is missing, completely gone. We had to lay off everyone on our team, which included my dad, 
we had to, we had no job all of a sudden, even though we're still the heads of a ministry, the ministry has nothing. So in a sense, we got laid off. We had to sell everything we had. We moved out of our home, everything. We had, we had to move out of our, our home that we were in and move into Leslie's parents' basement. This is right at the exact same time that our book, When God Writes Your Love Story, hit the bestseller list. Do you see the brilliance in this? I know for some of you, you're feeling bad for me. And I'm telling you, this is God's grace at work in my life. God spared me. I never once struggled with pride through this. Our book was on the bestseller list for 18 months, still to this day, one of the best-selling books in relationships ever. And guess who doesn't feel any pride over that? The guy who had to sell everything, lay off everyone, and move into his in-law's basement. You know how humbling that was to me and how perfect of a gift of grace it was. I cherish the way God has built my life and the way he has providentially steered me to guard me against thinking that it is anything in me or in my atomness that can at all change this world. If he is going to use this, he chooses to use it in its weakness. I remember a pastor uh, sitting down with me in that time and saying, uh, Eric, I'm just really concerned that uh, this whole book bestseller thing is going to your head and you're going to be proud. And I looked across the table and I just shook my head and said, well, praise God, that's not what I'm struggling with right now. I'm struggling with something quite opposite of that, uh, that I at all have value. I have such a voice of diminishment that is yelling at me day in and day out saying, shut up, give up, you're nothing. You're living in your in-law's basement. So much for taking care of a wife. Is that the best you can do, Eric? I mean, nonstop. And guess what? Thank you. Even when it comes to the devil, God will leverage that into even a greater strength in Christ. It's a fiery trial that we face, and it's not the easy road, and yet, Everything about difficulty, if you've ever heard, I have a book called Barracks 28, which I wrote to Leslie on our 20th uh, anniversary uh, three years ago, and we name our, our, uh, our, our marriage, uh, you guys know this because I gave a message called Barracks 29, we've named it Barracks 28, and what we know is that that difficulty in our marriage is our great secret to intimacy and to success. The reason we have a marriage that has stood the test of time and produced the fruit that it has is because of difficulty, not in spite of it. It's because of the challenge. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Eric Ludi proudly wearing the stigma of the uncool. You guys get to be dragged into this one. So uh, this is about five years ago, but uh, His Little Feet was on tour, and His Little Feet had all, all of their staff uh, was Ellerslie graduates. And so when his little feet goes somewhere, I mean, they're basically like a mobile Ellerslie. And all the students, all the, the kids from his little feet, of course, live in our, uh, in our dorms when they're back here in Colorado. It's a real blessing to us. And so they went to a very specific spot with a, a high-profile leader who specialized in consulting other leaders and other pastors. And I don't know what he called it, but it's sort of like an image consultant. You see, as Christians, we need to present a polish. We need to look a certain way. And so uh, he took these uh, Ellerslie grads off to the side, and he gave them a heart-to-heart. And he said, um, look, um, you see my son over here? My son is, for lack of a better word, cool. And as a result, my son will marry someone cool. Cool marries cool. You are all uncool. And I don't think it's your fault. It's just probably how you were trained. Probably, you know, you were associated. I think you were all trained at this Ellerslie place. And as a result, you're uncool. And as a result, you're going to end up marrying uncool. And he encouraged them to distance themselves from us so that they could be cool and marry cool. And now, I don't know how you feel about that. Here's what he said. He's like, you know, that environment is just sort of, it's like, uh, it seems like just a whole bunch of homeschoolers. 
so yeah, so, so Mike got back with me and was, he was laughing and I was absorbing this and I, la- I, I laughed too. But I, I just want you guys to know that that is a blessing. And I have to deliberately, when I hear things like that, choose, freshly choose. I'm okay with that. I'm okay. And of course I could blame it on you guys and go, hey, I'm cool. It's these guys that aren't cool. If he just knew that. No, no, I'm willing to bear that, that stigma. It's something the Bible is very clear at. It's the marks of Christ. He was the worm and no man. He was the lowly one. He was spat upon. His beard was ripped out. He was shamed publicly, hung naked on a cross. Am I willing to climb inside of that one? Inside of his nakedness, inside of his shame. And say, I'm, I'm fine here. I'm fine here identifying with the one who gave up everything for me. I may not have the look that the world would appreciate, that the world would want to sponsor, that the world would applaud. But am I really living for them? All of these fiery trials, you know what they're hitting on? They're hitting on old Eric is what they're hitting on. They're chipping away at the part of me that is supposed to be chipped away. The reason you feel for me in these stories is because you identify with me. But you're identifying with old Eric. If you identify with the new man, you'd say, praise God, Eric. That's good. I remember hearing uh, Steve Camp. He was an old uh, uh, singer. I used to love Steve Camp. I'm sure he's around still, but... Uh, he, was, he was mentored by Keith Green, if you can imagine. That's, why, that's probably why I like Steve Camp. Keith Green was the one that changed my life. And so Steve Camp was sharing the gospel, and he was beat up. He was roughed up. And he wasn't looking too hot, probably had some bruises on his face. I mean, he really got the treatment. <laughs> I mean, he started talking about Jesus, and these guys responded as we'd expect the world to respond. They beat him up. And so he was crying and moping along, and he came back to, to Keith Green. He was like, they beat me up. He says, hey, you got something to rejoice in, buddy. Stand up straight. This is good news. And he wasn't expecting that. But that response of Keith Green was what impacted Steve Camp. You see, many of us, instead of saying, stand up straight, rejoice. That's wonderful that you're second fiddle. Praise God that you've been publicly humiliated. Praise God that they think you're uncool. Use it. Allow the Spirit of God to prune you in and through the process. You see, when these things happen, they lift to the surface that dross. They show us chaff. And oftentimes we take that chaff that is ready to fly away and we want to cover ourselves with it again. Instead of saying, God, I let it go. Put off the old man. Put on Christ. And Asa cried unto the Lord as God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. I love that statement. You see, God doesn't mind using weak things. He can use a weak army, a seemingly weak flock of sheep against a pack of wolves, God has delighted to use weak things. We don't delight in becoming weak things. And my exhortation to you is as you are hearing this message and it brings up a response inside of you that wants to silence the speaker, that wants to say, okay, maybe that's right, but I refuse to believe it. The kingdom of heaven is built out of humble vessels. The Spirit of God is near those who are broken and contrite and do not think highly of themselves, but think highly of Jesus Christ. Many of us in here have extreme talent. We have an extremely talented church. And for many reasons, we could say, why doesn't the world recognize that talent? Well, it's because you have chosen to use your talent for the glory of King Jesus. And when that happens, I'm just here to tell you, It doesn't translate well into the world. Now, many of you know that. I know I'm preaching to the choir for almost 95% of this message. However, I want us to freshly, as the body, accept the challenges. When we are financially weak, what do we do? We pray to not be. This is the challenge he's dealing with me just constantly over this past season. God, what if you came to me and said, Eric, I could remove that financial weakness? 
But Eric, you wouldn't have the depth and the richness of intimacy with me that you have right now. Do you want me to remove it? What, what do you mean by I wouldn't have the depth of intimacy with you? Well, I can remove it, Eric. What do you mean by that? I wouldn't have the depth of intimacy with you, though. What, what do you mean by that? You want to keep the challenge? I don't want to lose the depth of intimacy. I don't want to lose what comes with weakness. I don't want to lose because I have tasted it and I know it has been the saving grace in my life. Almost every Christian leader, and this is where I I think I shared this this last week, or Leslie did. At these big festivals, you go back 10, 12 years and almost every single band and every single speaker has fallen away from Christ. And the leader, when he invited us back 10 years later, says, how are you still around? This is almost unheard of to have someone still be speaking the same message with the same fervor. What's the difference in your life? I just shared it with you. It's not me. It's the fact that God has had a jealous guardianship over my life, and even though I've fought it, I've accepted the difficulties. And I've allowed those difficulties to shape me instead of turn me bitter. You have been given a weight room. You have been given devices for your training. In every day, in every challenge, relational tensions. Use it. (laughs) Curl it. Financial bank accounts that are shockingly low when they should be higher. Embrace it. Have you ever had it where you get that extra few hundred, few thousand, whatever it is, and then that next day you get a bill for that same amount? You're like, God. And he says, well, you do know that I was supplying that for you. In other words, we want to store up a barn full of cash. That we're, we're all like that over here in Adam. We are. If you knew that that low bank account could equal depth of intimacy with Christ, would you accept it? If you knew that those tensions and those trials in your life, those physical challenges could lead to a greater depth of intimacy with Christ, would you shoo them away as fast as you are? I'm not saying that God doesn't move us through seasons, and sometimes the test of this season is not meant to be the test of the next season, and God wants to deliver us from those challenges so that he can use us in a a grander way. That still is true as anything else, but... There are times when God wants us to embrace the fiery trial and not jump out of the fire before it finishes bringing that dross to the surface. He hangs us on a cross and we're still twitching and until it brings us to a complete death, he's not intending us to get down from it. And yet the whole while we're like pleading, God, finish this. Are we willing to allow the work of difficulty and pain and challenge to bring its full work through us? so that we have the full benefit of what God intends us to have. Accepting the pruning as a gift. That's what I've done. And this is my commission to you. Would you accept your current challenge? It's funny because I could look around this room and I have a hunch that most of us in here have a challenge. We have a difficulty and we've been taking that difficulty before our God and said, God, could you lift this difficulty? And I'm not saying that's a bad prayer. I'm just saying, are you willing to cherish the process of carrying that difficulty and not lose it, and not lose its advantage in your soul? I know what it's like to carry weights, and I know what it's like to carry difficulty, and I've had such sharp pains in the depths of my being, and I go, God, I don't know that I can survive with this pain in here. It's a deep, deep ache that's more than an ache. It's sharp, and it rubs raw against my soul. God, I I don't know that I can deal with this. Eric, will you come to me for grace? Because in that weakness, in that trial, in that infirmity, my grace is sufficient. Never forget that. And when you've tasted grace, just like Jackie Pollinger would say when she'd come back to the United States, you may have your own bed here in America. I know God's grace. What? What does she have? She takes that infirmity, that challenge, and she says, God, I have access to grace because of this. When you have that challenge, that trial in your inner man, you have access to grace unlike anyone that doesn't. Take advantage of it. So Paul, in this context, is speaking about what he refers to as a thorn in the flesh. No one knows for certain what that thorn is, and that's part of the purpose of it. You're not supposed to. You don't need to. The truth behind it is still real and valid to each of us. Concerning this thing... I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. 
And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, listen to Paul's response, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. I take pleasure in that training, in that gym. And when I go in there and I feel the strain upon my muscles, I rejoice. I receive it gladly. For I know that in that physical weakness that that exercise brings comes forth a greater strength. Spiritually, that is a fact. If you want to discover it, you need to embrace your trials instead of shoo them away. This has been a growth process for me, and I know I'm still growing in it. Sandy hears behind the scenes a lot, and we are very honest with each other because we go through a lot of the behind the scenes trials that come with the ministry. And oftentimes we'll say, are we complaining? Are we just praying to have these trials removed? Are we willing to embrace them and cherish what God wants to do in and through them? And usually we finish the conversation. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Sandy, by saying, we embrace this. This is good. Praise God for trials. Praise God for weight rooms. Praise God for that burn in your soul. Praise God for those aches and those infirmities. For through them, through them, you will understand his strength unlike any other method, any other means. Through them, you will see his mighty provision. You will realize his faithfulness. Faithfulness would never make sense if there was no need for him to prove himself faithful. You want to grow in faith, accept the fact that you need to enter into circumstances which demand him to prove himself faithful. And faith will grow and sprout forth. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.